Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. It is so good to see all of you all here today in person. But I also know that sometimes when we gather in person, especially in these pandemic times, it can sometimes feel like the, the church is kind of sparse, that it's, it is thinning a little bit. Um, but I want you to know some, some things about last week, some things that, that we learned. One thing that we learned last week is that, uh, and this is actually pretty consistent, is that in addition to the 200 or so people who were, will gather at our three services, actually about, uh, about 300 who will gra- gather on Sunday mornings at our three services in person, we have quite a number who wor- visit and who worship with us online um, and who, who participate in that way. We actually, last Sunday, our total was 722 uh, overall. And that's not counting the number of people who might be watching one device. So for example, if one person is logged in on one device, there may be three or four people there. So we, we really don't know how many more than that. We just know how many people are, are logging in as part of our service. And we, we've been able to track that for a while, but still there's a part of me that sometimes wonders, well, okay, are people just, are they clicking the link and then doing something else? Or are they just, just you know, kind of like, like punching the time card and then going and, and you know, doing something else with their time? Well, last week, I got one of the best confirmations of the strength and the, and I guess the, the, the strength of our, our, our internet ministry and just the, the dedication of our congregation. Last week, one of my good friends came up to me between services and said, you've got to see this. And he held up his cell phone to me and he started playing a video of something that happened that morning. And I'll give you a brief synopsis really quickly. The video that Clay over here brought to me was of Trace and Mary Louise Buchek who were watching online church, okay? But they weren't doing it from home. They were actually doing it from a fishing boat out in Aransas Pass or down near Rockport. And and just watch the video really quick and, and listen really carefully and see if you can hear what's going on. But um, so, Jason, if you would please roll the video on that. Now, the, the hard part about that is that the sound doesn't come across really well there, but what Trace was telling me is that, is that, they, that Mary Louise was able to hook up the, the, the cell phone through the, the sound system on the boat, and so it was coming through the speakers on the boat and projecting all over the water to all of the other fishing boats that were out there. So whether they wanted to go to online church or not, they went to online church. And I just, here's my official disclaimer. This is not an excuse to go fishing during church, 
This is not an excuse to go find alternate ways or alternate places, but it is an encouraging thing that when people can't be here, they're still engaging, they're still joined in our worshiping community. As a matter of fact, I also found out this morning that just from showing that video, in the early service, the people online have already started to text Laura and Paige about seeing the video online in church. So it continues. People are staying connected. And, and while we always want to encourage people to be actively engaged in here, we, we love it that they're actively engaged wherever they are. That goes to show the strength of this church and the dedication that we have to one another. And especially today, given the passage that we're about to, to read, I love the fact that they're out there fishing because, because today we're going to read a story about four fishermen and how Jesus invited them to become fishers of men. Because today we're going to be talking about Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, about Jesus calling four ordinary, very busy guys, four fishermen, to become fishers of men. So if you would look with me in your bulletin where you'll find the scripture, a scripture passage laid out there or watch it on the screen or listen as I read. Here is Mark chapter one, beginning in the 16th verse. Passing along the sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon. Now Simon is Peter. P Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your son, our precious Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. And we have been studying the gospel of Mark, the story of Jesus, for the last several weeks. Mark's story is the literal, actual, historical story of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. But there is another layer to Mark's story as well. In Mark's story of Jesus, we also find that in the life of Jesus, in his life, his death, his resurrection, his baptism, and his temptations, is the foundation of our story. It's the foundation of my story. It's the foundation of your story as a child of God. And in his story, we find our own story. And as we look to his story today, we're going to be talking about Jesus's call to follow him and be his disciples. When I was in high school, I had a soccer coach named Dave Munson, and Coach Munson was a recent college graduate who was from upstate New York, and he had played soccer in college, and he was serious about soccer at a time in the South when nobody else really knew what it was. But his philosophy was that once you reach a certain level of play, then winning becomes all about conditioning. 
His theory was that whoever is in the better shape, whichever team is in better shape, that is going to be the team to win. And so he pushed us and he pushed us and he pushed us. And one day I remember after a particularly grueling practice, Coach Munson made us run laps. And then we had to line up on the line and run wind sprints over and over again. And he was just killing us up and back and up and back and up and back over and over again while we were and while we were running the whole time he was shouting you're dogging it the lazy never win games you're never going to be any good at this point and at one point between sprints coach Munson's back was turned to us and somewhere down the line of players someone yelled out to him I don't see you out here running with us you know that feeling when you know something bad is about to happen? <laughs> I don't know to this day who it was who yelled those words out, but I know that he would not be a safe man even now. Because what happened was that Coach Munson just slowly turned around and he took his whistle and he dropped it in his shirt and he got on the line with us. And he started running with us. And it was like the whole ordeal started all over again. Up and back, up and back. Whatever the person who yelled that to him did not understand was that he was in a million times better shape than us. And he then from that point on for every practice turned our soccer practice into his personal workout. And he was in incredible shape. But from that point on, he ran every lap with us. He ran every wind sprint with us. He ran every drill with us. He didn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. And I tell you that story because I want us to remember that Jesus never asked his disciples to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. The first two events reported by the Gospel of Mark, were first, Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River, which we talked about in depth a couple of weeks ago, and second, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Now compared to Matthew or, Mark's, uh, Matthew or Luke's account of the temptations, Mark's description of the temptation is actually very frugal. It lacks all the details that we expect to hear in the story of the temptations. He doesn't tell us anything about Satan's specific temptations. He just really gives us the report that it happened. But the reason that I believe Mark mentions the temptation of Jesus at all, as well as the baptism of Jesus, is to set up a theme for the rest of the story. And that theme is this, that everything Jesus would ask his disciples to go through, he went through himself from his baptism to his temptations to his conflicts to the exercise of his compassion to his devotion to his suffering and even to his death on the cross Jesus went first and just scan the book of Mark before Jesus called his followers to repent and believe, Jesus went through it first. 
He humbled himself before God and before a crowd of men and women. He took on the baptism of a sinner, even though he had never sinned and never would. He took on the baptism of a sinner to show us that humility is the way to the Father and to show us that God is worthy of our lives. That's why Jesus was baptized. And before Jesus called his followers to resist temptation, he went through it first in the wilderness with the king of all tempters. And before Jesus commanded his disciples to go out in public and proclaim the kingdom of God and call people to repentance, he did it first. And before Jesus asked his disciples to suffer rejection, he went through it first. He was kicked out of his own town, hometown of Nazareth. He was nearly thrown off of a cliff because he challenged his own friends and neighbors with the truth of God. And before Jesus asked his disciples to put his mission before even their own families, Jesus went through it first. When his own mother and his own siblings came to drag him home to make him come to his senses, Jesus declared that his family was defined not by blood, but by faith. And before Jesus ever asked his disciples to bear a cross, before he ever asked them to bear the pain and the shame of a cross, he went first. The book of Hebrews says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And why did he do it? For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The book of Hebrews actually twice, the author of Hebrews twice calls Jesus the pioneer of our salvation. And what do pioneers do? They go first. They blaze the trail. And in everything he asked of his disciples, Jesus went first. Before Jesus asked anyone else to change their lives for the sake of the kingdom of God, he did it first. At one point, Jesus even came up to a group of men and said, I want you to give up your career. I want you to change your life's work for the sake of the kingdom of God. Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and there he saw Simon Peter and Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, casting a net into the sea. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. He did essentially the same thing with James and John. They were in their boat, mending their nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Now, the brevity of Mark's report makes it feel incomplete, like he's left something out. For example, 
If I was Peter and this guy just walked up to my fishing boat and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, I'd have some questions for him like, who are you? Or what exactly is a fisher of men? And what do you mean follow you? And you know what? There's a part of me that so desperately wants to fill in those blanks to believe that Peter and Andrew and James and John knew Jesus already, or maybe they had heard him preaching. I mean, after all, Mark says that Jesus had been preaching around Galilee. Maybe they had met. Maybe they had heard Jesus teach and were familiar with his program. But Mark doesn't tell us any of that. He doesn't want to distract us from the main point. And considering that Mark is Peter's testimony, it's strange credulity to believe that that wasn't important or that Peter wouldn't mention or explain that he knew Jesus before this moment. No, this story is tight for a reason. It is uncomfortably brief by design. The way that Mark presents it, he wants to focus on this one thing that Jesus called and they responded immediately. You know, there's that word that appears over and over again. Immediately, the heaven split and the spirit descended on him like a dove. Immediately, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Mark can't seem to get enough of this word immediately. It occurs over 40 times in the gospel. Many years ago, when I was working at a summer camp, every now and then, I would have to make an announcement over the camp's public address system. And one of the rules for using the PA was that you never used the word immediately. We were never allowed to tell someone to report to the camp office immediately, even if there was an emergency. And the reason, according to the director, was that studies have shown that when people hear the word immediately, it invokes a sense of danger, of fear, and makes people defensive, which makes them more cautious. And rather than speeding things up, it actually tends to slow people down because they're all of a sudden looking out for danger. They've got their heads on a swivel and they're looking for every kind of possible danger. And we know that. Because we hear the word immediately and it already begins to make our anxiety rise. It makes us nervous. And it should. Because there is an urgency in the call of Jesus Christ. An urgency that demands an immediate response. We don't get to set the terms of our own discipleship. We are to go immediately. We are to immediately drop what we're doing and follow Jesus Christ. Peter and James and John and Andrew, they all responded, they all obeyed, they all followed immediately without hesitation or debate. At least that's the way Mark puts it. He wants us to understand that they followed him immediately. And what Mark is trying to tell us about the call of Jesus is it's really not very complicated. It's very simple. When Jesus calls, follow. 
Boy, do we want to make that more complicated than it is. We want to come up with all kinds of reasons to delay, defer, turn around, compromise. But when Jesus calls, he expects us to follow, to do so without making deals, without making excuses, without making apologies. At one point, I served on the Committee on Preparation for Ministry, which is the, the presbytery or denominational committee that examines and prepares candidates for ministry. And I used to serve with this wonderful lady named Nellie Evans. Nellie had been on this committee for a long time, and she was tough, but she was fair, and she was loving. And she knew, because her husband had been a pastor, how hard the life of ministry can be. And she wanted to make sure that anybody who entered into this life knew what they were getting into. And so whenever a candidate would come before our committee, she would look them in the eye and she would say, young man, young lady, are you ready to be a net dropper for Jesus Christ? Are you prepared to drop your nets immediately and follow him? Are you ready to drop your career, to leave your home, to drag your family across the country? Are you ready to give up the life path that you thought was set before you to follow the call of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to be a net dropper? Like Peter and Andrew and James and John. And that's a hard question. Because disciples have to be risk takers. Jesus challenged these guys to take a risk, to redirect the life they knew for the sake of the kingdom of God. He even challenged this specific group of people to change their careers and follow him. But that was something that Jesus had done himself. He knew what he was asking. Even before the, Jesus called the disciples to change their careers and follow him, Jesus had done the same. He had given up his career as a carpenter. He'd left the family business. <laughs> He'd even left heaven for the sake of this. He knew what he was asking. And he was asking them to do the same. But he did it first. Jesus went first. And what Mark wants us to understand is that when Jesus calls, follow. But we don't follow without reason. It's not an empty call. Because this, this calling has a purpose. It has meaning. It has direction and a reason. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, what does it mean to be a fisher of men? I mean, there are so many old preacher illustrations, so many old analogies to fishing and evangelism and ministry and things like that. And I just decided to cut through the chase, uh, to cut to the chase and get right to the heart of it instead of using an analogy of a fisherman. To just give you an example of someone who I believe was a fisher of men. 
When I was, uh, well, just a few years ago, I was privileged to go to the birthday party, to attend the birthday party of a 94-year-old woman named Ellen Smith. And there were about 40 people at this birthday party, and they ranged from ages 85 to 18 months. What you had to know about Ellen is that for at least 75 of her 94 years, Ellen Smith had been pouring her life out to what she referred to as the young people. Now, that always meant young people relative to her age at the time. And so there were people that she was referring to as the young people at this party who were well into their 70s. But she had served as a Sunday school teacher. She had served as a youth group leader, as a children's choir director, as a choir director, as a missionary, all these things. She had done all these things, and throughout her life, she had shared her, her humor, her love, her talents, her music, her community spirit, her activism. She shared her time. And most of all, she had shared her love of Jesus Christ with generation after generation of people. And one day I asked her, I said, I said, Ellen, what do I need to learn? What do I need to know about you? And she said, she said, well, one thing I've learned is that I can't fill other people up, but I can pour out everything I've got for them. To be a fisher of men means to be someone who pours out his or her life for other people the way Jesus poured out his life for us. To be a fisher of men, to follow him, is to follow him in what he did. To be a fisher of men means that we are to follow him where he goes, pouring our lives out as he did. Let me tell you this, beloved. If you want to be 94 years old and have a lot of people come to your birthday party, start pouring your life out for people now. For teenagers, for kids, for 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings, whoever it may be, whoever the young people are in your life, pour your life into them. That's what Ellen did, and that's what Jesus called these disciples to do, to do what he was doing, to proclaim the reign of God, to take, seriously the, the, to take God seriously in their lives, to turn from false satisfaction, to turn from sin and self, and turn to the face of their Father in heaven, to speak the truth, to tell people about forgiveness, and to speak truth and, and purpose into people's lives. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant to pour ourselves out for the lives of God's children as he did, bearing the same costs, taking the same risks, extending the same grace. And what did that look like in his life on the night before he was crucified? Jesus said, this is my blood poured out for many. Following Jesus is not just about telling people the gospel although that's an indispensable part of it. It's about pouring yourself out for people like Jesus did. It's not just about inviting people to church, it's about inviting people into your life. That's what it means to be a fisher of men. The Lord can call us in a number of different ways. Maybe he is calling you to change your career 
Or maybe he's just calling you to change your focus. Still, to be a fisher of men means to use that career, that opportunity to be a fisher of men. You can be a fisherman and be a fisher of men. You can still reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Or you may be a teacher. You may be a businessman. You may be a lawyer or a doctor or a financial advisor or a rancher or a carpenter. But to be a fisher of men means to use that platform in a new way for a new purpose. And I want you to notice something else here too. Christ calls those first disciples to this work absolutely unqualified. They had no education to be disciples. They had no preparation to be teachers. They had no training. They had no credentials. That would come, but Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were disciples, not because they were ready, but because Jesus called them. That's what makes you a disciple. Not your preparation, not your skill set, not your readiness, but his call. That's what makes us disciples. They were disciples because he said so. And I want you to hear that there is a tremendous amount of grace in those two words, follow me. In my opinion, they're even more precious than the words, you are forgiven. I mean, those are the words we all want to hear from Jesus Christ, are they not? But with the words, follow me, with these words, Jesus tells us, I not only forgive you, I not only love you, I trust you, and I want you to be with me in my work. You are a five-star recruit, and I want you on my team. I love you, I trust you. This is the kind of, the kind of kindness that not only says you're forgiven, but says you're valuable, you're capable, you're strong, you're smart, you're imaginative, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are empowered to follow me where I have been and to do what I have done. Where I have gone first, you can follow. Now, I know everyone in this room has a friend or a grandmother or a teacher who at one point made the distinction between can and may because you were saying it incorrectly. You would say, I can do something. She would say, you may do something or vice versa. Jesus is not saying that you may follow him. He's saying you can follow him. Why? Because he said so. By his grace, you can follow him. By the grace of God and the call of Jesus Christ, you are able to resist temptation. You are able to go out in public and proclaim the kingdom of God and call people to repentance. You are able to live a life of compassion and godliness that encourages and inspires others. You are strong enough to suffer rejection. You are able to live a life of difference and distinction that gets people's attention and piques their curiosity about how God might be able to make a difference in their lives. And you are strong enough to ask for forgiveness when you fail in any one of these things and understand that he can keep you as his disciples and keep you going. 
by the grace of God, you are able and you are worthy to bear the pain and the shame and the glory of the cross for the sake of his kingdom. You can follow him. And so today, by the reading of this gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit that inspires us, that inspires us and speaks through it now, not only for the enjoyment of our company, but for the call of God, he is calling to you today to follow him. He is calling you not just to be forgiven, but to follow. He's calling us into his life. He's calling us into his work. He is calling us onto his team. And so that I'm absolutely clear, when I say that you are being called today in the reading of his word, in the hearing of his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is calling us now. When he said, follow me to them, when you heard it, he was saying, follow me to you. He was saying, follow me to me. After all these years of doing whatever we wanted, after all these years of running the wrong direction, the Son of God is speaking to us through Scripture and is now saying, follow me. I want you on my team. He's reaching through our brokenness. He's reaching across our rebellion. He's smashing through our self-centeredness. He's healing our deepest wounds. He's coming to us in our loneliness. And he is putting his claim on us. Indeed, by this command, Jesus is not only forgiving our sin, but he is calling us to himself and reconciling us to God. Despite our sin and rebellion, Jesus Christ right now in the hearing and reading of his word is calling you and saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Thanks be to God. You pray with me. Oh Lord, we come into your presence seeking forgiveness and you offer so much more. Not only do you forgive us of our sins, but that is only the beginning of what you have in store for us because you have called us also to follow you, not simply as admirers, but as empowered lieutenants, as faithful workers, as agents of your kingdom of grace. Lord, help us to follow you. Help us to do it immediately. Help us to to understand how you are challenging each of us in our own ways, in our own context, in our own lives to become fishers of men. We pray these things in the name of your son who calls us to follow him. Amen.